Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hip Senior Podcast. My name is Marion Bailey. I will be your host today. We are doing a really special edition today. We are here with Debbie Weiss and Turner Grant. And today we are talking about lessons from the heart, what dating over 50 has taught us. And we're going to share lessons about their learn, what they learned from their dating experiences, the losses that they had both, not simultaneously, but they both had them and they're very similar experiences, yet they both had different takeaways and similar takeaways as well. So we're going to do a he versus she take on this as well. And we're also going to talk about how that shaped their current relationships and advice for those who have lost one way or another and are dating over the age of 50. So Debbie and Turner, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Marianne. Thank you. Hi, Marianne. Thank you so much. Hi, Debbie. Thank you for being here. So Debbie, tell us a little bit about yourself, because just so you guys know, Debbie is the author of Available As Is, A Midlife Widow's Search for Love. Debbie, welcome to the podcast. And introduce yourself a little bit more than I have and tell everybody just a little bit about you and and how you came on this journey. Thank you. Let's see. I'm a longtime resident of the San Francisco Bay Area. I uh, married my high school sweetheart, George. We were together for 32 years. Uh, I'd known him since I was seven and he was 11. Our parents were scientists who worked together and we lasted. He was an engineer, so we lasted through him uh, being a software architect and my going to law school and becoming an insurance coverage lawyer, which is about as fascinating as it sounds. And then in 2009, after again, 32 years together, now at that point, about 28, he was diagnosed with um, metastasized male breast cancer. And we had some good years after that. But he passed in 2013. I was almost 50. I'd never lived on my own before. I'd gone right from my house, my dad's house to living with George. I, we were, George and I were pretty isolated. We we're both introverts. He was an engineer. So he liked being in front of a screen. That was, that worked for him. By that point, I'd retired from law for 10 years. I liked being with a book, and I'm a big bookworm. So when he died, I was really alone and I had to figure out how to make a new life. And that included things like finding a voice and dating and seeing how to live as an I instead of a we. Because for so many years since I was at 15, we were we and we liked the same foods and we liked to do exactly the same things, but maybe not really. Right. When I was uh, doing that journey, that led to my book, Available As Is. Nice. Turner, I'd like to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself as well. He is the author of To Venus and Back, One Man's Quest to Rediscover Love. Turner, welcome. Thank you, Marianne. I grew up not on the West Coast. I'm from a very small town in Tennessee is where I grew up, not far from Nashville. Nashville was the big city for us. Son of a disabled Korean War vet whose parents divorced when I was very young. You don't hear this term very much anymore, but my dad was a deadbeat dad who left us and was raised by a single mom. So not a lot of role models, but I had a couple of talents that led to a career I could draw and was artistic. And I love to tinker and take things apart and try to put them back together again or put them back together again in different ways. 
and also a musician. That career did not, that sort of fizzled out at age 18, but I can say it fizzled out on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. But it led to a career in architecture from community college to Auburn University to Harvard. So a country kid in Cambridge in the area of Harvard was a very heady experience for me. But something I wanted to do, I think consciously, just maybe get over my small townness, was I learned the ballroom dance. And that eventually led to meeting a striking woman one night. Uh, I was 29 years old uh, at a ballroom dance event in Boston. And uh, a few months later, we moved to Washington, where she had her family was from. And 18 months after that, we walked down the aisle at the Washington National Cathedral. She was from a very old Washington family and had a lot of uh, connections in that regard. But we were a May-December romance. I was 30 years old. She was 40. And she was a very successful executive at Hewlett-Packard. And even though with my academic pedigree, my career rose and fell with the economy. And soon after we moved here, it, it fell. About five years later, we had twin boys, and I decided that what I was doing at the moment wasn't quite as exciting as being a insurance lawyer, or, <laughs> but the architecture wasn't exciting, so I decided to be a stay-at-home dad. Soon after, we discovered one of our sons had developmental delays, and I was going to do this gig for three years, and it stretched to 11 years as I fought for my son, learned how we could help him, and then... My wife's career took an unusual turn down after a 31-year career. And I will share that she, I learned after we married that she suffered from mild depression, but this life event took a, a big downward spiral. And over the course of the last five years of her life, continued to go down. And she took her life the day after Mother's Day in 2010. So I had, I was, again, every story is different. I was not alone. I had two boys one who was disabled, and it seemed like I had to put myself on the back burner in order to stabilize their lives and do the best I could with what had occurred. And that led to, later to the subject of my book, to Venus and Bacchus, I, after two years, decided with the encouragement of my mother-in-law, you need to get back out in life, and maybe someone in your life would be good to have as well. And the rest is history, right? And the rest is history, as they say. Just so you guys listening know that, so Debbie and Turner have both recorded their entire stories about their back dating and stuff like that. So today we want to move forward with that a little bit. You can go back and listen to each of their podcasts at thehipsenior.com. But today we want to talk a little bit more about how that dating history has influenced their their current relationship, how this progressed along the way past their initial shock and their dating history. And then we have moving forward. How did that affect the relationships that they're having now? Where, what's next? Like, where do we go after we have gone through and dated 10 people, five people, whatever that case may be? How, how do we move forward with this? And looking back, how does it affect the relationships that both of you have now? So... Debbie, you want to kick that off a little bit? Where should I start? Moving forward. Good question. So, yeah. So, so we know that you spent some time dating some other people, right? Mm -hmm. You've moved on into a new relationship. 
let's take a look at that. Let's like, how did, what did you learn from your dating experiences with those people in how did you take that information and move it forward into a successful relationship that you're having now? Obviously after 50, it gets more difficult than it was at 25, right? So much more. I, I believe much more. So that's, that was the title of my book, Available As Is, because we're like used real estate. I mean, maybe Turner, not such a well-designed home, but you're stuck with the bad architecture of the, of the people you meet. So yeah, that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We definitely all have our, I don't want to say baggage and misplaced trusses and poorly designed doorways. I've had a rolling backpack with a missing wheel. I don't know. Yes. Yes. With that. That's typical. So what happened for me is 14 months after I lost my George, I started to date. I went online. I hadn't dated since I was 16 when I was a junior in high school. And that was 1970. Yeah, that was, na- no, that was 1981. That was 1981. So things had changed just a little bit. And I go into this a lot more in my book. And I don't want to sound unkind, but I was... Maybe I do, but I was really shocked by the poor quality of the men I met. I've written about this a lot. And what I really was shocked at is so many people were living in the past. So many people were miserable. So many people were still rehashing their old relationships. And I was shocked because I was a widow. And, but I was looking for joy again. I'd had the love of my life. There were some complications with his death, but I was looking, I was moving forward and I was ready to find happiness again. And I found so many men who had no capacity for happiness. And honestly, I needn't have worried that all they were after was sex because all they were after was a sounding board. It was somebody, was it was a warm lady who would just sit there and listen and listen and deal with their anger wow. and listen. And it was a major bummer. And then I also did get the crazy guides and the ones, the very casual nature of things. I'm old fashioned. I was raised conservatively by a single dad. Uh, my mom died young and I was raised by a, a scientist and uh, taught to have kind of a lot of self-worth, maybe too much, but. So you're, yeah, saying, wait, 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 you're saying grown men are looking for therapists. Yeah, I am. I'm saying grown men are looking for therapists and that some of them also seem to have picked up the hookup culture and it was just, yeah. I'm going to be at a bar at 10 o'clock tonight. Why don't you come by and come over to my place in hot tub, let's Netflix and chill. With, for those listening, Netflix and chill is literally not watching Outlander and drinking beer. It's not. <laughs> no, I think it's, I never did this, but I believe it's an invitation to sex and based 100%. on the effort put into the prior invitation, probably very bad sex. Yes. So... Honestly, I wound up thoroughly disillusioned (laughs) and about five years in when I was pretty much giving up hope, but I was doing better for myself. One thing I'm angry about in all of, not angry, but looking back on a lot of regret in all this is me. The one thing you can't change is yourself, right? Wherever you go, there you are. And I was there looking for love, but I really wasn't sure what I wanted. I knew I wanted to find a relationship again, but I wasn't sure what I liked or what I was like on my own. And so about four years into my loss, when I was actually busy, I was traveling on my own. I was going back to school to get my master's, my MFA in writing, writing my book. I was, life was much better. I did meet my person and I met someone who was old fashioned as I was, who called for dates uh, in advance and was exceptionally charming. And our first real date lasted 12 hours. It was a drive through Marin County. 
where he drove an hour out of his way to pick me up because that's what he did. And we've been together five years. All right. So I have to back up a little bit. So you were talking about, hey, what are you doing? Let's have a uh, drink at a bar or whatever. Last night I heard this joke and I'm going to put this in here because I thought it was funny. And if it's offensive, tough it's my podcast, I can do that. There was a guy sitting at a bar and he had, and this lady walks in and his feet are up on the bar and he's wearing these fancy cowboy boots, whatever. And the woman walks up, she's this older woman, right? And she walks up to the guy and she goes, nice boots. And he's like, thanks, little lady, why don't you sit down and whatever, but then we can go back to my place and whatever. And she goes, is it true that, no, I agree. She goes, is it true that the size of a boot indicates other things like they say, is that rumor true? And the guy said, the guy said, why don't you come back to my place and find out? So at the end of their evening, the woman rolls over and gives him a hundred dollar bill. And he goes, wow, little lady, thank you. No one's ever paid me for my services before. And she says, oh no, they're not for services. Please go buy a pair of boots at it. <laughs> That's a great story. That's the way women are living with these days. False advertising. Right. And a good example of women starting to come into their own and stand up for themselves and not take what men are laying down. Turner. What about? Okay, I'm going to have to step in here at some point. Right? Please. Okay. That's why I was leading on to you because I know that you tend to be a little bit more concerned about how women feel about your book and the way you treated people and the way you do treat people. So let's learn a little bit about your story on that. Now, we know from your podcast before about, about your history. So let's move forward on where we're going with this. What Okay. How um, it you? Just a quickly note. I, I was a shy kid growing up and dated very little, even in high school and into college and even before I met my wife. I was not experienced in not a lot of dating. I was at dating room. When I... What I discovered with my wife was that magic that I guess everyone seeks that Debbie clearly had with her beloved George, even when they were teenagers. I found it when I was 30 in a woman who was 40. And we connected at a different time in life. And it was such a new experience to have that kind of relationship because, I, as I said, growing up, I didn't have a father and a mother who was a single mother working. So this was just magic for me. And to feel like that I had a, a true partner in life who understood me, accepted my foibles, my, my good points, and the whole thing was, was wonderful. And I expected it to always be. And when that went away, to say I was lost is an understatement. Right. And then after the two years, when I was encouraged by my mother-in-law and a few others, and I, I just couldn't continue being in the wake of the death of my wife, I needed to move on. And I'm someone who throws myself into things. Everything is a project. When I was a stay-at-home dad for 11 years, my kids were a project. I knew what I wanted to do, so I looked for opportunities. I threw myself into this. And what I found at 50, 50 was the new 13. Interesting. <laughs> It's really, we haven't come that far since we were 13 years old. As far as so maybe the games and the emotional stuff, the games were still there. I found in women, generalizing here, since we're painting with a broad brush, is that women told me outright they did not want to waste time. They wanted a partner in life. 
And if early on, I was very unsure. I was literally just stepping out into a world I never imagined being. And it was a different world altogether at that age. Right. And several women took me to task on it. Look, if you don't know what you want, you're wasting my time and every woman's time that you're meeting. Figure it out. And, but I could- How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? I felt, of course, there was some truth to it. And I had some close women friends that I could confide in to say, okay, am I totally, is my compass, my, my dating compass working or not? And they assured me that it was, but clearly there was some truth to it, but we were just very different people. And, but to think that was okay to say it that way, good night. Bye. <laughs> good well, luck. And it's better you learn that early. Yes. When people say that, they say, oh, this guy was an asshole to me and this and that. Whatever. Hey, at least you found this out a week after talking to the guy instead right. a year and a half later when you're fully invested in this relationship. I, you know? I will share that the, some of the feedback I got along the way, not always, but a little bit was that I love to hear about the lives of the women I met. I, I, I was just fascinated in meeting new people. I, that was something I really enjoyed. And some feedback I got at times was, I don't really know much about you. You're closed books. Debbie, I was not one of the guys that needed someone to listen to me the whole time. I was the guy was who they weren't learning enough about, but I certainly shared the facts. I, I wasn't always totally sure what they were getting at, but I learned that there was so much I didn't learn, that I didn't know, and that I was learning on the fly. And having a happy 20-year marriage did not prepare me to be back out into the dating world and assume, I got this. Yeah, I can do this. Nope, not going to happen. I described high school as being hapless and clueless as far as dating and, and being at that age. I think I was at the junior high level at the pre-hapless and clueless stage being back out into the dating world in my early 50s. And I did have a one-year relationship, which I do write about into Venus and back. And... Uh, I ended that relationship and then threw myself back out there uh, for another year. And I finally threw in the towel. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. When it's not working, I'm not meeting people uh, who did this fast meeting and check the boxes off of must-haves, must-not-haves. It just was not working. So I threw in the towel. I, said, I am done with this. I also came to the realization that I was very blessed. I had a wonderful family. I did have parent responsibilities for my children, one who was at that point finishing high school, another who was uh, in another state in a school for special needs children, had wonderful family, supportive in-law family, a great life. Why did I need to be looking for a future when what I've got right now is really good? So I threw in the towel. Then five months later, at my church, I met someone and we are now seven and a half years later together. What I learned, it's, it, I, I give this quote in my book, you don't find love finds you. And that's what happened to me. Once I gave up intensively focusing on this and let life happen again, and that's probably the ultimate lesson for at least for me, maybe not for everyone, let life happen again. And when I did, I found someone wonderful. I think people my age are seeing things, Debbie and I talked about this in our podcast with, they're seeing things either one of two ways. Either they're just done and over with and women are like, hey, we can go do our thing. Men probably too. 
We can do our thing. We, like you said, why do I need to be investing my time in finding somebody checking off the boxes? Or some people look at it and being like, the stakes are so much higher now because my next person I want to find that happiness with, but I want that person to X, Y, Z, get along with my children, like kids, like pets, all these check boxes. And I don't think people are necessarily looking at the fact like, okay, I've got 20, 30, 40, 50 more years of life to go where, what do I want to take with me on that journey? What bag do I want to unpack so that I can repack it and take it, take the stuff with me and being open and honest in what you're looking for. So did you use both of you? Did you use the experiences that you had in to really look at where you were moving forward as far as, okay, maybe I'm open to some different suggestions and some different ways of doing or living life, or maybe my future isn't going to look what I thought it was going to be. And how do I um, address that? Because that can be very shocking to somebody's system of being like, wow, okay, I'm not going to be married. I'm not going to whatever their story was and that they built up in their head. I tell myself stories in that all the time. My ex didn't X, Y, Z because X, Y, Z. And I've put myself back in therapy and my therapist is not making up stories for people. It's not me or for yourself. Start living what you're doing and do that. So your question is, so how did did you, how did you get to the realization of, okay, I'm over 50. My life isn't what I thought it was going to be. How do I move forward with that and being open to dating? Because I think that's what people are going to want to know is my story isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's something very different. How do I get that plot? How, how do they even begin to realize like my story is changing? It's I need to be open to, to the plot changing. How do, how no. do I even begin? Oh. For me, it took time. It was the passage of that time, both the two years after my wife passed away and the three years that I threw myself into dating. It simply took time. It's one of those cliches. Time doesn't heal all wounds, as the saying goes, but it it did heal a lot. So it required a lot of healing on my part. And, But the window into the world that I experienced in the three years, and I met 54 women in three years, it was an education. It really was. It was, a, it was an education in life, in, in women, in love, in the world today. And it was the process. Again, I'm an architect, so I'm a process guy. This process was not working. Why do you don't keep doing it and slamming into the door on your foot? Stop it. So it was literally like that. You, But it took me a while. I actually... About three or four months before I threw in the towel, I went to self-help retreat. I needed a reboot and rejuvenation. I was exhausted. I just lost my mother-in-law, who was my wonderful and supportive woman. And I just felt like I was, my energy was at the bottom. I was spent. And where I went, it did its job. And coming back, I, I felt like there was a renewed sense of, of, loving life where I had not had that since, quite frankly, since my wife passed away. Were there happy moments? Yeah. Sure. Were there good times with in the one-year relationship? Of course they were. But that was uh, um, a light switch flipping from off to on. I literally I went away for eight days, came back. And even though I continued for another couple of months with the online dating, 
clearly, as I say, it was ill-fitting. It didn't feel right anymore. Right. And I finally said, just stop it. And I did. And I did. So that's what happened with me. Debbie, do you think that your current partner is anything like George was? Okay. Were, I can answer that. And were you open to somebody being different? In the, in that the, was part of my life? journey. That was part of my journey. At first, I wasn't sure what I wanted. I thought I might want to date. I thought I might want to have fun. George had been my one and only. But I knew I ultimately wanted to wind up in a deep, committed relationship. I just thought, like some guys have, that might be later rather than sooner. Um, One of my favorite movies is a woman, and she's considered of loose morals, but it's set in the 1800s. And she says, there's nothing wrong with us. We just find our love at last, not at once. And I thought maybe that's what I wanted. But I found guys so unchivalrous and unpleasant, and again, some of them so dark, unprocessed with their past, that wasn't working. So I, I was not finding, fun dating was an oxymoron to me. That was not happening. That was not, it was, I was not finding anything. But one thing that issue I had was I was really insecure. And I was also used to the people that I knew, um, having a, like careers and such. So I was looking for somebody who I thought had a better, better graduate degree than I did and more, more better education than I did. And, and this impressive resumes and such. And that didn't necessarily lead to anybody who was a good partner. Just because someone looks good on paper doesn't mean they're great in person. Just like somebody who says they've traveled a lot. Nobody's that interesting if they can't connect to somebody, right? What makes somebody interesting, I think, is their ability to connect and empathy and compassion, not the fact that they have these fabulous careers. Especially because a lot of these guys seem to think because I was a widow and I had retired 10 years ago that, I don't know, somehow that I was a cheering section or something. And also that I wasn't uh, necessarily as smart as they were, which was really insulting. So I really tried to expand what I was looking for to somebody who had joy in their lives and had the kinds of values I wanted, but didn't necessarily live for their career. For someone who had the capacity to find life and love and to have processed their past, please, but that they didn't, they didn't have to have two graduates. They didn't have to have any graduate degrees. They, did, they just had to be stable, which again was a rarity and surprisingly not something I found in people who you might think would be. At that point, I would pull back and I was busy. I was still online, but I was devoting a lot less time to it. And where Turner pulled back, I probably got in some ways quicker. If somebody wanted to chat a lot online, ain't happening, quick phone call, great. It sucks after a half hour and the call. I just was doing this in a very hopefully expedited way, which may have come across as a little brusque. And then I did find somebody who shared my values, but he didn't live for his career. He is, and he's totally different than me. Is he I'm, totally different so, than George was? Yes. Okay. Really different. No, he has George's values in terms of being loyal and kind and loving and good to other people. Right. But he's totally different from George in terms of being athletic and wanting to be outside and how he interacts with people in the world. Okay. Yeah. So you were open. You opened your heart and your mind to having somebody, like you said, with the same values, but having a very different end result of how you interact with that person because their interests are so different that you have to be willing to like, okay, maybe I'm not into playing pickleball or whatever it is, golfing or whatever it is that, that he's into, but, uh, but 
but I could respect enough that you could have that time to go do your thing. As yeah. we get older, we all have our own interests, right? Some people may want to sit at home and, and play games on the computer and other people maybe want to be out playing golfing or being out on, on a sports boat fishing, but not both people have to share the same interest, but be respectful that you can spend time apart and still be okay and come back together at the end of the day. And that worked for us. We were both in life, the outdoors. And I wanted somebody who did want to be away from the computer. I love George, but he was a workaholic. Right. I remember when he was diagnosed and I was hoping he would take more time away from work, but he didn't even want to. And I had to respect that. But I really wanted somebody who wanted to be outside and wanted to try different things and liked going away for the weekend and wasn't on call for any bugs in the code. This guy is not a coder. Thank heavens. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was really open to someone who I felt had a greater capacity maybe for enjoying more. I was, by that point, I was a really big hiker. Right. So I wanted, I, I want, he doesn't, is he Randall, he, my person, he doesn't hike and he surfs. I tried one surf lesson. No, not for me. If he's surfing, I'll try more paddle boarding. I'm a big yogi. So our interests aligned in terms of fitness and liking the outdoors and just liking each other and wanting to be together and not wanting to be so isolated and in, in indoors, which was good. Turner, do you think that when you first started dating, let's say when you first started the, this journey, do you, you think at first you were trying to inadvertently or maybe rationally compare women that you were dating to your deceased wife do you think oh this person doesn't isn't as happy as she was or isn't as smart or isn't as xyz we all I, I think there's a period of time where we do that right it's this is what my norm is this is what i'm used to this is what i had and does this person match up or have the same values right or different stuff like that do you right. think compared no, for me, and I've alluded to it before, I, I like learning new things. Right. And I like meeting new people and learning about new stories because for me, it, there's just a, an, an understanding and knowledge that there's so much I don't know. And I, and it, I consciously went the other way. I, instead of zigging, I zagged. You wanted so the opposite. I looked for people. Different. I didn't look for the opposite. I just didn't consciously look for the same list or whatever right. but it did start to become clear and online dating does this because it compresses everything in such a small time and you go through meeting so many people so quickly i did start to learn what appealed to me and that one thing i'm an architect but i love design in any form and that is something that my my wife loved about me she she shared about good design she didn't always know but she loved that i knew I would go shopping with her to pick out her clothes after she figured out that I could pick out clothes for her that looked great on her. How many men do that? I Let me see a show of hands out there. Okay, there you go. But I consciously was open. But I began to find that those that appealed to me had some of the same characteristics as my late wife. And there are two now in my current relationship. And they are... They're big ones, but they and but they click. And that is one, she loves the ballroom dance. And I'm a ballroom dancer, so that works out real well. And she loves art and design, appreciates it, and appreciates that in me. And I guess I've learned that 
I need that sort of appreciation for something that is so much of who I am as an architect, as a designer. I look at everything in the world through those sort of artist eyes. And I have someone who appreciates that in me. So in the end, that came back around. So there is a similarity. But initially, out of the dating gate, no, I was actually looking for the opposite. And I consciously said to myself, don't you dare compare what you're, what, what, who you're meeting to, to, you know, to her. Right. So that's how, I, that's how I did it. And that's where I am right now. Because I think people subconsciously do that. If your dog passes away and you get a new dog, Sure. Does this dog not bark as much as my other dog not barked or different stuff? And when they act differently, it's a rude awakening. Oh my gosh, this is nothing like I'm used to. And do you feel that way, Debbie? I know you look for the opposite, but in the very beginning, because like I said, we're starting out like talking people 50 or so. There's a lot of divorce rates. There's a lot of people that have heart attacks in their 50s and stuff like that these days. What is that shocking realization of I I do or don't want to get involved with the same person that I was involved with before? Yeah, that's true. I I wasn't exactly going for the opposite. I and I did compare. Honestly, it would be hard to find somebody as smart as George. But it was also hard to find somebody as compassionate. He was very excellent at his job as an engineer, but he was kind to people. He was good to people. He helped lift up his whole team. And I've met very few men, A, who had the capacity to do that, but brought other people up. They were too down. And I didn't find people who had that level of compassion. And at a more trivial level, that layer of manners. I don't get it. I I was dating guys who are a bit older than I was, and they couldn't open a flipping door or use, use the magic words, please and thank you. They sure whined a lot. And I was real surprised to be, didn't, what happened? Didn't you have moms or dads who taught you some of this stuff? I just got a level, I got a level of underlying anger. Like they'd done that for their wide. And now, man, were they done? You open your own damn door and buy that Bob's Big Boy Burger. I know one time I went out on a date and I decided on the date, oh, I had to stop it. I, the guy had epilepsy, so he wasn't driving at the time, didn't want to take the risk. I said, I'll come pick you up. And stopped and got gas. And in my mind, like the gentleman thing would have been to like, hey, let me pump your gas for you. He didn't necessarily have to buy it, which would have been extremely nice. But hey, let me be, let me help you with that. And he made like zero effort. And I was just like, and so I remember mentioning on social media, like when on this date, this guy just couldn't even bother to offer to pump my gas, whether I would have let him or not. But that's where you went wrong is why are you expecting people to do things for you and stuff? And I was just like, because I remember when people used to be nice and offer to do things for people, especially women or whatever. And it was like a huge debate. And I felt stupid at the time for, they made me feel stupid for expecting something of somebody. And I was like, that just was shown that he was more in the game than he actually was by being courteous and thoughtful and things like that, which I think a lot, like you said, a lot of people tend not to be these days. I don't want to group everybody. I don't want to make one person pay for everybody else's sins. So obviously not all men, not all women are the same. Debbie, I think maybe you, your experience explains why I experienced, and I, I mentioned this in, in To Venus and Back, and I often felt until someone got to know me that I met, a woman that I'm meeting for the first time, 
there was a real caution. And I describe it that all men are assumed at that age because I felt like the vibe I was getting back was that I was a cheating scumbag, a snake under a rock, stalker, or a potential serial killer until proven otherwise. Not literally, but basically, as it was pointed out to me, you're guilty until you men, innocent. you men, yeah. you men. I was one of those you men that you describe. And I guess women experienced that. And that was certainly projected back on me. And I did come to present that blanket assertion that had truth to it. That had truth to it. I readily admit, but that got to be a real drag. And, but you also touched on something that came, what was really the most important thing. You found it, I found it, and it's kindness. Kindness had to rule the day. Share your past, share your hopes, share your dreams, share what went wrong, share what you'd like. But if kindness isn't there, I, that was the other thing I discovered. Kindness had to be there. And I discovered, and I, I won't go into all the details because it was so varied. It's, it's hard to blanket characterize women that in the way you did, Debbie, with men, but there was a lot of unkindness out there and I quickly dismissed them. Nope, not for me. And eventually that became the most important criteria. And I wasn't finding it with what I was doing. So I stopped. That Find makes it. sense to me, Trevor. Yeah, and you're right. Because I'm not really talking about opening a door. I'll open a door if it's going to close on somebody's oh. face. It, oh. It's the sense that People, yeah. some people are happy to let the damn door close on your face. Yeah, it's a bigger know? kindness. It's a bigger, it's what's in your heart kind of kindness. It's not about opening the door, the, the little it's niceties, the courtesies. It's what's in your heart. But those little things, you, you know, I think women do expect it. And uh, I've always been that kind of, I hope, a gentleman in that regard. And I've been told that it's very much appreciated. So that's kindness at a, a, a courtesies, I will call them. But kindness at a bigger level, I found was lacking and the women that I met was seriously lacking. And I couldn't understand it. We'd all been through so much. I heard all the stories, 54 stories of lives of women. And that's a big difference. But in your 20s, teens, you're, you talk about your dreams and aspirations. In your 50s, you're talking about what happened. Didn't realize there was going to be an off-ramp here. I thought I was heading north, but now I'm on the east or whatever. But so that's the kind of kindness I'm talking about, the, the kindness in your heart. It's not out there. And I agree to her. That was the problem I had too. And the word I'm looking for right now is compassion. Maybe be in part because both of us were widowed folk and we didn't have acrimonious divorces. We missed the people. We loved our people. And I believe that we'd both been treated kindly and with love by the people we'd been with. We didn't have this sense of disillusionment. We didn't think long-term relationships were doomed to crash and burn. And yeah, I was looking for compassion. I started dating probably too soon. My advice would definitely be wait till you have a sense of self. I was trying to find my sense of self without George and 14 months in was too soon. But I was looking for compassion because I was pretty open about being a widow, being lonely. I'm looking for someone who would care about me. And that doesn't mean monetarily or anything. I don't, that's not it. I'm fine. Thank you. But somebody who was compassionate in terms of planning something in an event, being reliable, saying nice things, not thinking I couldn't run my life or that I wanted to, that I could be molded into a doormat, essentially. And I didn't find much compassion. As a lonely widow, I really didn't find it. 
When I say I'm looking for someone to build a life with, someone saying, great, how about we get together Saturday night and I'll get a hotel room? Isn't it? And so I really found, I found it very unpleasant. And that's when I pulled back to the point of just treating it almost like I treated a law profession. Go through everything, a couple messages, quick phone call, you're out of there. Or I would get people, I even wrote my profile to say, I am looking for a relationship. I am not, I tried to make myself sound pretty prissy and hard to deal with, figuring that somebody would, who cared, would put up with it. I also had professional pictures because I saw a video, a, a TED Talk once that men are visual. Who did that? But I really tried to seem unapproachable if possible. Okay, that's interesting because in Turner and my podcast, we brought up like Turner has glamour shots. Glam shots, yeah. Yeah, like are women more doing that these days? Because like I changed my profile settings on my dating apps to show me both because I wanted to see what women were putting out there for men because mostly in, in research for this podcast was because men, Turner, will say women X, Y, Z, they put themselves out there. You know, we talked about, what was that thing we talked about, Turner? That's something about the people on that have their phone numbers on there or whatever, are mostly hookers. And an aspect I shared was that on Tinder, about 5% of the women are hookers. And in fact, they were even on eHarmony back then. That was like, that was a revelation. And then they put their phone numbers in a cryptic way. So the algorithms that are watching over them don't flag it. They tell you how to contact them. So that's out there on the guy's side of the ledger dealing with that stuff. And I'm trying to remember, did you prefer the people that had Glam shots or the people that just had like everyday shots? I pretty okay. much deleted them pretty quickly. Okay. I wanted to see everyday shots. I wanted to see who they were. I didn't want to see the see them with the perfect lighting, the perfect setting. I, the, the pictures can be a window into your life. And those were the pictures that I showed. So I just, and again, I didn't know this was out there. You discover it, right? And then you react. And that's how I reacted. Yeah, I had no idea that 5% of women on Tinder were hookers so it's like wait what so now if i'm swiping through tinder i'm looking at people completely different now because there could be what gigolos what well, i think they're script i think they're your everyday run-of-the-mill 50 year old guy they're just <laughs> hey let's meet Watch wearing oversized at a bar so <laughs> essentially yeah yeah okay so let's wind this up a little bit what or wind it down a little bit what is if you're giving somebody advice, we'll start with Debbie. If we're giving somebody advice, they're, they've given themselves time to heal. They want to start seeing what's available out there. They get on any dating app. What is the number one thing that they could do to help themselves on that dating app that would be beneficial to them? Goodness. The very first thing initially is save your time. Unless you want to travel out of state, there's no need to communicate with people who aren't in your geographical range. It's good to have a geographical range. There's no need to communicate with people incessantly. I think people who are good at this tend to do two or three quick messages and then meet because you don't know anything until you've met a person. You meet. And it's not just that pictures are necessarily um, misleading. Mine certainly weren't. And I've met people who weren't, but you don't know if there's a spark. You just don't know. And um, I would do a phone call first to make sure that they're not going to talk your ear off about things you have no interest in, which happens. Is so okay I would say, woman to instigate that phone call. I think so. Okay. Or do yes, they let's meet for dinner or whatever? Is that okay? I would never meet in person. 
But I, I went mean, in, like, after you talk on the phone call. Can you say sure. it? Cool. We seem to jive. Can, can we have, do you want to? I would never do a dinner. I, I know people, there's a lot of debate that coffee dates are lazy. I personally think a coffee date or tea date is a good initial thing because it's quick. Okay. I certainly met people who are like, oh, but I'm driving to meet you. Know, let's have dinner. And about the time that they've decided to order dessert, I just want to go hide in the bathroom. It's too long. I, I really believe in minim. I think at a practical level, the most important thing is minimize your time. Okay. At a deeper level, I think the most important thing is follow your instincts. If you're not enjoying this person, if you're not looking forward to being with them, if whatever, I think a lot of women, particularly of my generation, were trained to be exceptionally courteous, conciliatory, negotiate, not say no. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying we have this isn't working. No, thank you. No, you can add an I'm sorry if I probably apologize too much. But I, I think that we're taught to negotiate and not be offend anyone. So I think the best thing is follow your instinct. If this isn't working for you, get out of there. You don't have to waste time. You don't have to, what's the word, mollify some guy's feelings. You don't have to tell him that it doesn't matter, that his boots were too big. You don't even have to ask him. You don't even have to be okay that he said it's three dates. He wants to take the boots off. It's up to you to follow your instincts and really act in self-preservation. Okay. Good points. Turner? I would uh, agree. The biggest point that I would agree with uh, on Debbie, what Debbie said, is that you have to meet. You can talk on the phone, you can text, you can Zoom. When I did it, it was Skyping. And I inadvertently met someone who was in Paris and flew off to Paris. So I would (laughs) go along with the idea of keeping it local. Where I would differ is that I found as the guy who has to prove that he's not a stalker, serial killer, cheating scumbag. I found the coffee dates were like a prison visitation room interrogation. It was, it, it became mind-numbingly similar from woman to woman, from first coffee date to first coffee date. It was an interrogation. So I worked out a routine where I would extend an invitation to come to a particular club where I belong, where it's more casual. The barriers come down. It opens a window into my life, and I I hope that would allow me to learn a little bit more about them. So I agree that you have to meet. No amount of phone calls or anything you do will take measure of the chemistry and how they are. But those coffee dates, I agree. It, this stuff, just we talked about it in our podcast, Marianne. It takes so much of your time that you want to minimize it. But I just found those coffee date interrogations or dating interviews I tried to, after having gone through a number of them, I tried to be a little more creative and come up with something that was a little more fun and interesting so I could find out if the person I was meeting was fun and interesting to to be with. See, I tend to lean towards that. I want to see what kind of ideas you're going to come up with for us to go do something fun. Instead of just being like, oh, I'm just going to go have coffee. No, let's go do something fun. If we don't like each other or we, or we end up just being friends, then I have a new friend in my world. Um, what, what, what kind of creative things can you come up with versus just saying hi when you met first message somebody, right? We talked about that. Right. Of course. The downside, of course, is that you're with someone longer than you would like to be when you discover pretty quickly, wow, I really, this is a no, this is a hard no. Everybody's different, different right? philosophies, but there's reasons yeah. for both. There's, there's arguments for both sides. Yeah. Uh, Neither of these ways are wrong. Neither yeah. of these ways. There's yeah. no wrong answer. That was more analytical to the point. Let's get on with it uh, and find out. As much as we can, tours a little bit more of let's delve into who we are, what we're doing. But I've been the same end result is finding love 
or finding you you can love be, you and can happiness. Be your next best friend online these days. Yeah. Without it being a real, without it being an emotional or a love interest. Beware of men who say they only want to be friends. In my opinion, that did but, not work well. No, uh, it didn't work well for the woman who said she only wanted to be friends. <laughs> uh, we both found I, I agree. That. I agree. Getting out there meeting people is, is my point. Is yeah. Not doing what I'm doing right now, which is sitting at home expecting Mr. Hansen to knock on my door. And I told her this. I was like, my next door neighbor, I told my next door neighbor I was going to start dating. He said, you'd have to leave your home to do that, Marianne. And I said, you're you- you do. My ultimate uh, to your question about using a dating app is I tell everybody not to. Okay. Um, yeah, that, to that's that. my lesson learned is not to. It didn't work. And it had so many downsides. But bottom line, it did not work. I tell people, and I, I have a couple of women friends. I do have women who are just friends, longtime women friends. And get out there and do things you enjoy. You will find people who are out doing things they enjoy. And if you meet someone and you're both doing something you enjoy, that's a great first meeting as opposed to coming to the interrogation dating interview. Easier said than done, of course. Easier said than done. But that is my ultimate advice. I have had many women who've read The Venus and Back and have contacted me and said, based on your book, I will never do online dating. Um, I don't necessarily want it to be that, but for me, it just in the end, did not work. So I would go by Debbie's advice on the online dating if we're going to do it. Because Debbie and I talked about this, right? Debbie, we talked about doing meetup and, and doing different... Yeah, I was, I'm close to where Turner is. Now, I lived in a suburb um, and I didn't, have a, I didn't have a lot of access to different people. So this was a way when my life got a little more open. Yeah, I agree. It's better to meet people through... I met a lot of hiking groups. I did some different hiking groups and I've known couples who've come out of them. And those are great. And I agree. It is better to be meeting people in situations. And I do have male friends. Some are nice, but I never met any of them online on a dating app. Is to meet people doing activities that you enjoy where you're living your life and you're not wasting your time looking at a screen as life passes you by and, you're, and the odds are so small that you're going to meet the right person. I also think dating apps have gotten worse since we've been on them. Turner, you've been off seven years. I've been off five. That's, yeah. you know, I can't speak to the current state, but well, I would yeah. say if you need, if you really want to play the numbers game, the dating app is the way to go because I could certainly plow through a heck of a lot of people, which I get a certain perverse joy out of. But I but I do ultimately do think it's better to be out living and then hopefully finding someone that you're compatible with because you already know you like extreme bluefish spearfishing or whatever. And then we also but, talk about like the possibility of, like I said earlier, of maybe your next great love is in 10 years. But in the meantime, because you're out living life, maybe you're meeting women friends or men friends, if you're a guy or whatever. And because you're being open to meeting people in general is broadening your search for happiness in life. That's my point. Debbie and I had a chance to meet and talk before this podcast. And I think something we agreed on Debbie was that in both our situations and so many people find themselves in their situations with loss of, of the long-time marriage, uh, that there's no playbook on how to proceed. What do you do? There's many books about grief and this and that and get it back out there. I'm sorry. So it they only go 10% in educating you or informing you. You just don't know how to proceed because you've had something so precious, so wonderful, that was just you. It was your life. It was your being. And it's gone. There's no playbook for that. There just isn't. So we have to acknowledge that, which is better, which is what should you do? 
we can go through the whole list, but ultimately there is no playbook on how to proceed. I agree, Turner. Yeah, when this happens, people are devastated and there is no playbook and there is no guarantee that with whatever you do that you'll find a second love of your life. I think it's, it is more important to focus on trying to find a measure of joy and contentment again. Just finding yourself, being okay with being you first, right? That's a good That is you. number one. Yeah. And yeah. for me, it took the three years to do that. I finally figured out it was okay to be who I was. Um, yeah, it took me about three years too. At that point, I was writing and I even had a brain back because my husband's death had some complications. And it was a while before I was fully back. Yeah. All right, the two of you, thank you so much for sharing your insight, for sharing uh, your history. Again, Debbie's full podcast is up on the site. Turner, yours is up on the site as well. I encourage you all to go listen to their story. Of, they tell their story of their backstory, what happened through their lives and, and how they got to where they are now and why they are able to give such amazing advice. And I thank both of you for joining me today and helping guide people on their next journey. Thank you. It was a real pleasure, Marianne. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, and Marianne. Thank you for introducing me to Debbie. It was great Absolutely. to meet her. And, and thank you, yeah, Turner was awesome to talk to, and I loved his book, by the way. It was great. Both of I loved your book, by the way. It's great, <laughs> and you're a much better writer than I am. So I, I take oh, my hat to you. And I've read both their books as well. So yeah, definitely head over to books.thehipsenior.com. Check out Turner's. Check out Debbie's. Available as is, and Turner's to Venus and back. And you will definitely enjoy their books as much as we all did. All right, you guys have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank Thank you. you.